0: Good morning. morning. Indubitably, that was a wonderful little clip. I can actually do a great imitation of Mike, but uh, I don't think I'll, I won't bring it out this morning. So, uh, so good to see you all. You know, Jesus uh, said in Revelation chapter three, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with them and he with me. Now, Jesus said that to the church at Laodicea. He didn't say that to lost people. He was saying it to a church. And uh, all the songs we've been singing this morning, how much we need the Lord Jesus. So would you pray with me right now and invite the Lord Jesus in? He's knocking. If you hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Lord Jesus, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. But praise God, we are never without you because you said you would never leave us nor forsake us. But Lord, there is a difference between your presence and the manifestation of your presence. And we ask today, we invite you in to this gathering for the manifestation of your presence. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to be here teaching because your word said in First John 2, I have you have need that no one teach you for you have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now we ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be taught today. Lord Jesus, we want to sit at your feet. We want to behold you. We want to be caught up in something much bigger than a church service. We want to be caught up in the spirit of God to behold our God. Lord, no man can do this. No man can pull this off. Lord, it's only your work. So we invite you in. Get, tune our ears to hear you today, Lord. Commune with us. Call, ravish our hearts with your presence and your love We want to be ravished by you this morning, Lord. Meet with us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen? Okay, so I'm really full of faith believing the Lord's going to do that. Are you? Yeah, we ask. Okay, and if any two of you on earth agree touching anything, right? You shall have the petitions. Are we praying according to his will? Yes, so should we be filled with great anticipation? Okay. Praise God. Okay, well, Mike, last week, you know, I've really been appreciating uh, Mike's messages. And, you know, if I can remember a message a month later, you know the Spirit of God is working. And that Psalm 23 message about uh, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, That's where you lose your fear. I've been able to use that in in so many different situations and build that into so many people's lives. So the Lord has just riveted that in my heart. In fact, six months from now, I'm not even gonna give Mike credit for it. It's just the Lord doing it. And I won't even remember, actually, I won't even remember he even said it. But that's the spirit of God, isn't it? And last week he talked about the prodigal son. And the thing that really spoke to me about that, you know, the prodigal son comes back, the father's watching, and he sees his son a long ways off And he runs to him and he falls on him and his neck and kisses him and hugs him and says, kill the fatted calf and bring the best robe and give him the signet ring. And this is the thing that really spoke to me though. Put shoes on his feet. I've never seen that before. And why is that? Why were the shoes important? Because the slaves didn't wear shoes, but the sons did. And remember when his son was in the pig pen he says, you know, my my father's servants are better off than I am. I'll get up and I'll go back and I'll say, father, make me as one of your hired men. But that's not what the father had in mind. Put shoes on his feet. He's my son. He's my son. First John chapter three, verse one through three, behold what manner, excuse me, of love the father has bestowed upon us. Let's read that again. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, every woman that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Amen? Behold, what manner of love. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, John 1.12. The question I have for you this morning, have you received Christ as your Savior and Lord? Because we're going to be talking about the Father's love. We're going to be talking about Christ's identity. We're going to be talking about being a member of the family. But if you've never received Christ, you're not a member of the family. There's children of God and there's children of wrath. And we all were born children of wrath. We were born separated from God because of Adam's sin. And we're, and we're in Adam's line. And we're born separated from God. My mom and dad never never taught me how to lie. They taught me how to use a fork and a spoon, but they never taught me how to lie. I was a natural born liar. And the Bible says we go astray as soon as we're born, speaking lies. You see, there's something wrong in the heart of man. We're not as God originally designed us to be. The devil's real. His kingdom is real. It's a kingdom of darkness. And there's many, many people that are on that broad road that are going into that kingdom. But Jesus, there's a narrow road. And that narrow road leads to the kingdom of light to the kingdom of Christ. And it's totally in opposition to the kingdom of darkness. As many as received Him, in April 28th, 1974, I was living in a hippie commune in the mountains of Colorado. And two of my former commune friends were here this morning. I got to introduce them to everybody. And they both are following Christ 45 years later. And here we were just living in sin, living for pleasure, getting high all the time. And the Spirit of God was sweeping across America during the Vietnam War. And it swept into our commune. And the Lord saved me. I went from being a lover of renus, a lover of pleasure, to being a lover of God. He opened my blinded eyes. The Bible says if our gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost, whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ would shine into them. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. You see, Satan is in the world of blinding people. The reason people don't believe is because Satan is a powerful, powerful spirit. He's more powerful than you. He's more powerful than any of the sons of Adam. And he's in the world blinding people so they cannot see who Christ is. But the Spirit of God is more powerful. And he gets after people. And he brings people that are totally blind and he gives them sight to see who Christ is. Have you received him? Has there been a time and a place in your life where you said, Lord Jesus, I'm lost. Lord Jesus, my, I'm, I'm a rebel. I don't even know why I'm alive. And you, know, you don't know why you're alive until you know the God who designed you and made you for a purpose. If life is confusing to, to you, you need to go to the maker. You need to go to the one who made you his workmanship. And he will put your life together. Salvation is a simple, is a simple response to the the call of Christ upon your life, Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me. And that began a 45-year journey that's still going on. I'm not what I will be, but I'm not what I once was. Amen? As many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority to become children of God. Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. How precious also are thy thoughts of me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. How much does your Father love you? You may only think of him on Sunday morning. He's thinking of you if you could count the grains of sand that much. You're ever in his heart. He loves you. The Father is consumed with the Son. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are in the Son, and His thoughts are ever towards you. In fact, Jesus prays in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, that the same love that the Father has for Him would be in us. Excuse me. Jesus loves, the Father loves us with the, the same way he loves Jesus. And Jesus is in us. Okay, now you're sitting there and nobody's saying, praise God. I mean, we're, see, we're inoculated to this stuff. I mean, we ought to be doing backflips. If we really believe that the Father loves me the same way he loves his son. Woo! I mean, seriously. Right? Hmm, need to go to India. <laughs> uh, we're, we're gonna bring back some tambourines from India. Boy, we'll get this place rocking. In the movie Lion King, the hyenas are scared to death of the Lion King, Bufasa. And every time his name is mentioned, they tremble in fear. But here comes Simba, the lion cub. He comes into his father. His father's asleep. Mufasa's asleep. What's he do? He picks up his, eye, his, you know, his eyelid, and he picks up the other one, and he's trying to wake his father up. You know, Come on, Dad, you promised. The point is, sonship makes all the difference, doesn't it? We're sons. We're daughters. We're the bride of Christ. God's thoughts toward us are more than the sand of the sea. He's crazy about us. (coughs) In Galatians chapter four, he says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, Wherefore, you are no more servants but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Can you say with me this morning, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying that prayer, and how does he address his father? Abba, Father, Mark chapter 14. Can you say Abba, Father? Abba, Father. Do you feel his fatherly arms around you? Do you feel his warm embrace? And then he says in verse 19 of Galatians 4, my little children, Paul says, how I travail in birth until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, I'm travailing in birth. It's like I'm giving birth. I'm not satisfied with you attending church on Sunday morning. I want to see Christ formed in you. That's God's plan, isn't it? Christ formed in us. Each of us, little Jesus us. I'm like Jesus. Jesus. Conformity to the image of Christ. I mean, I've got a whole study, hundreds of verses of being in Christ and Christ being in us. So wonderfully important. And Jesus is giving us authority to step into his identity as he is, so are we in this world. If you remember Jacob and Esau, they were the fraternal twins of Isaac and Rebekah. And they were born and, and, uh, and, and Esau was the firstborn. And the firstborn gets the birthright. He gets the blessing. And Isaac is an old man and it's time to give the blessing to the firstborn son. Now Esau was a man of the fields. He was a hunter. He was a fisherman. He spent all, time, out, all his days outside in the fields. His clothes smelled like the fields. His skin smelled like wild game. And he was a very, very hairy man. Now, Jacob, his brother, was much much more of an inside guy. And Isaac tells Esau, go kill some game, prepare me a meal, and I will give you the blessing. Now, Rebekah, Isaac's wife, and their dad, hears this, and she wants to deceive Isaac and make sure that Jacob gets the blessing instead of Esau. So she takes fur, and she puts it on Jacob's hands and she takes fur and she puts it around his neck. So he's hairy and she takes Esau's clothes and she puts them on Jacob and she takes wild game and she rubs it on him. And he goes into Isaac with the meal before Esau comes back and Isaac is blind. So he can't see. And he says, "Uh, who are you? He says, I am Esau, your son, your firstborn. And uh, Isaac says, it's the voice of Jacob come near. Come near. And he comes near and he feels his neck and he feels his hands and he smells his clothes. And he says, you have the smell of Esau and the feel of Esau and he gives him his blessing. Second Corinthians chapter two, verses 14 through 16 says, now thanks be to God that always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the aroma, the smell of his knowledge by us at every place. For we are unto God a sweet aroma of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the aroma of death unto death and to the other, the aroma of life unto life. Bottom line, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, to the Father, You look and feel and smell like his son. We are clothed in Christ. We have put on Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27. As many as you were baptized into Jesus Christ have put on Christ. Isaiah sixty one ten. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. Colossians three nine and ten. Lie not to one another. Another seeing that you have put off the old renus. You've put off the old man with all of his deeds, and you've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Christ. Unless there be any doubt about it. Romans thirteen fourteen. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision. For the flesh. You see, just as Jacob put Esau's clothes on, so we have put on Christ. We are clothed with Christ. To the Father, we smell like Christ. Hebrews chapter four and verse 16 says, therefore, let's come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We're not like the hyenas who are trembling at the sound of Mufasa. We're like Simba who's bounding in saying, Come on, Dad. Let's, we're on this adventure together. We come boldly into his throne room of grace to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. What is grace? Grace is different than mercy. We find mercy and grace to help in our time of need, it's different. Mercy, I like to think of mercy as God finding us in the pigsty and coming down and hugging us. But grace is God coming down, taking us out of the pigsty, cleaning us up, and clothing us with his own robes of righteousness. Grace is God's empowerment to do what only Christ can do in and through you. God is calling you and me as followers of Jesus to a supernatural life. If you're not living a supernatural life, you are living a substandard Christian existence. The Christian life is a life of miracles. It's a life of the power of God in us and through us. It's a life of the love of God flowing through us to a lost and dying world. It's supernatural enablement. That's what grace is. I think it's illustrated by the, by the airplane illustration. And this is not original, with, nothing's original with me. I mean, you know the same preaching. If you use one man's material, you're a plagiarist. If you use 10 men's material, you're a researcher. I've been preaching for 45 years. I've borrowed from everybody, <laughs> everybody. I don't even know who I borrowed from anymore. But this airplane illustration is so good because it's, it's a picture of an airplane. And God says that we are to mount up with wings as eagles. God commands us to fly. There's an old saying that says, uh, uh, Do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly whew, and gives me wings. The Christian life is soaring with eagles. But I come to the plane and. I'm not flying and I start flapping my wings as hard as I can with all the energy I, I have but I can't get off the ground and I say God are you pleased with me I'm at a out effort of flapping the wings you must be pleased with me God says no I'm not pleased with you apart from faith it's impossible to please God they that come unto me must believe that I am a, that I am a rewarder of them that diligently seek me I've got to diligently seek God how to fly. I don't know how to fly. God's not pleased that I'm exerting all out effort. That's not, that doesn't even count. I've got to fly. That's the standard. Anything less than flying is substandard. It's not pleasing. It's not faith. It's walking by sight, not by faith. And so I study the, I study all the specs about the airplane. I study it in Greek. I study it in Hebrew I tear the plane apart, I put it back together. I know how this plane works, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I get all my friends together, and we come together and we sing songs of praise to the plane. But you know what? I'm still not flying. I'm going through the motions. I'm doing my religious duty, but God's standard is flight. Then one day the scales fall off. And the Lord says, Get in the plane. Get in the plane. And I I go I go up into the plane and he says, Now abide in the plane. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will shall be done unto you. Lord, I want to fly. And the plane starts taxing down the runway. And you know, I'm like not putting all my weight down. I'm still flapping. I'm still flapping. He says, No, just abide, just rest. And the plane takes off, and the law of thermodynamics takes over the law of gravity. It's a greater law. And the plane lifts off, and I'm flying. And as long as I stay in the plane, I'm obeying what God has said. I'm soaring with the eagles. Now, if I decide at 30,000 feet to jump out of the plane, that's going to end in disaster. I must abide in the plane. Now, brothers and sisters, that's the Christian life right there. Jesus is the plane, He invites us into Himself. He is in us and we are in him Galatians 2:20 I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me In the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me It's Christ who's living in me I'm in the plane the plane is in me He's the vine I'm the branch we're connected his life is flowing in me and through me I'm soaring And just as the law of thermodynamics is greater than the law of gravity, so the law of the spirit of life in Christ supersedes the law of sin and death. Those are the two laws that are in operation in the human race. The law of sin and death, Romans chapter eight, verse two, and the law of the spirit of life. And he is calling us as believers, get in the plane, stay in the plane, soar, live a supernatural life. And so I come boldly into the throne of grace. I come bounding as a son into the throne of grace to find his enabling power. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace that was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. How did Paul labor? It wasn't Paul. He said, it wasn't me. It was God's grace in me. Brothers and sisters, do you have the grace of God in you? Do you have God's enabling spirit in you? Yes? Yes, we do. Are you still flapping? Are you, still, are you a flapper? Or are you an abider? If you abide, you will experience the exhilaration of flight in Christ. You will experience the law of the spirit of life. And you won't be living under the spirit of sin and death. You know, I don't come in here discouraged. I don't come in here beaten down. Because Jesus is so much greater than all that. I come in here full of joy. I mean, actually, I'm not saying I can't get into a funk. But for the most part, I'm soaring. I think that's the normal Christian life. I don't think it's sickness and disease and Uh, discouragement and depression. I think it's soaring with Jesus Christ. I think it's living by his enabling grace, his power. Paul says, unto me the least of all the saints is this grace given, that I should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. How do you preach the unsearchable riches of Christ? You can't do it in your own strength. It's the grace of God that enables us to do these things. Many, many other verses on the grace of God. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, "Who do men say that I am?" And Peter said, "Well, some say you're Elijah, some say John the Baptist." Jesus said, "Who do you say that I am?" Peter said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the living God." And Jesus said, "Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who's in heaven." You see, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you didn't get that by studying specs about the airplane. You got that by revelation. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. For anyone to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, it took revelation from God Himself to remove the satanic blinders so that we could see. He had to, he had to, he had to do it. Jesus says. Actually, Peter's name was Cephas, which meant a reed blowing in the wind. And Jesus changes his name, changes his identity, and he says, thou art Peter, thou art Petras in the Greek. Thou art art this small stone, and upon this Petra, upon this massive boulder, I will build my church, Jesus says to him. Now our Catholic friends, this is where they got it all wrong. They said that the church is built on Peter. My gosh, that's blasphemy. I want to tear my clothes. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just blasphemy. No, the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ cannot be built on any man. It's built on the son of God. It's built on Christ. Thou art a small stone, Peter. Thou art a this, you are Petra upon this massive boulder, Christ, the testimony of Christ. That's what I'm building my church on. Oh, And then Jesus says to him, He changes His name. He gives Him a new identity, doesn't He? And that's what happens with us when we come to Christ. He gives us His identity, He gives us a whole new identity. We're Christians. What is a Christian? It's an anointed person. You and I, as followers of Christ, we're anointed. We're anointed with the Holy Spirit of God to live a supernatural life, to soar like eagles. And then he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. What are the keys to the kingdom? Wow, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's authority. It's authority to act in Christ's stead. With Christ's power. With Christ's name. With Christ's clothes on. With Christ's identity. You see, when the Father looks at us, there's no separation between us and, and, and his Son. <laughs> there's oneness. There's oneness. There's oneness. I love the illustration. I know I've shared it before, but anyways, you get it, come across a good illustration, you stick with it. And uh, The Terminator. I love the movie The Terminator. Made in 1980, before most of you were born. But nevertheless, how many have seen the movie The Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh, praise God. Okay, if you haven't seen it, <laughs> that's your assignment. So the movie Terminator... T- Arnold is the Terminator. He's a cyborg assassin sent from the future to assassinate a lady named Sarah Connor. Now, Sarah Connor is a waitress by day and by night. She's a would-be girlfriend, but she can't find anybody to take her out. And uh, she, she's, watch, she's at work one day and the news comes on, you know, like Fox News every 30 seconds, alert, you know? So alert, there's an alert. All the women in America named Sarah Connor are being killed. Whoa, this gets her attention. And so she goes home after work and she listens to her answering machine and another would-be boyfriend is canceling out on a date. So she doesn't wanna stay home because she's terrified because all these Sarah Connors are dying. And so she goes to this disco place and she thinks in in the mass of humanity, she'll be safe. Well, the Terminator shows up there and the bullets start flying. And people are dying all around her. And unbeknownst to her, her rescuer from the future also has been sent there to protect her. So he comes up to her in the midst of this and says, if you want to live, come with me. Okay, she's motivated. She goes with him. And as they're driving, of course, Arnold is chasing, you know, he's driving the car, the bolts are flying, the metal's breaking, The glass, everything. It's a mess. And she's, she's hysterical, and uh, she says, it's a case of mistaken identity. And he says, the rescuer says, no, it's not because you're Sarah Connor and you're going to have a son. And she says, have a son. I can't even get a date. And uh, he says, no, but in the future, you'll have a son and you're going to come up with the strategy and you're going to give the strategy to your son and your son is going to lead the resistance against the cyborg invasion. And because of you, the whole cunt, the whole world is going to be saved. She says, it's mistaken identity. I don't even have a boyfriend. I haven't done anything. And he says, no, but you will. No, but you will. Satan knows who we are before we know who we are. Satan is the great deceiver, isn't he? He wants you to believe that the most God will ever get out of you is a Sunday morning, hour and a half thing, commitment. No. Satan wants you to believe the Father really doesn't care anything about you. You're not in this love, intimate relationship with the Father that he has more thoughts towards you than the sand of the sea Satan wants you to believe that you're powerless, that you can't accomplish anything. You know, when the world is shaken, it's always by two or three people. It's never by a huge mass of humanity. The the, the revival that swept across America in the 70s, the revival that brought me to Christ and, and millions and millions of young people started by a couple people and swept across America. Because it's not the work of man, it's the work of God's spirit. Satan knows who you are before you know who you are. And it's his strategy to distract you from believing that Jesus is living in you. He desires to live through you. And in that identity, you are a world changer you can shake the world. It's true. I believe that about myself. I believe I'm a world changer. And then with Julie and I together, if one can chase a thousand, two can chase 10,000. I've got much bigger plans than to to attend church on Sunday morning. God, use me. I've got one life. Lord, why not me? Why not me? I'm taking you at your word. Your grace is sufficient for every good work. I'm coming boldly to your throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help. Lord, use us. C.S. Lewis says there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Brothers and sisters, we are in a warfare, and this is a strategic time. This is our time. Only one life can soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Jim Elliott. You are a target of demonic forces. If you are filled, if your life is characterized by fear and unbelief, it's because you are a target of satanic forces. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit And it needs to be dealt with by the blood of Christ and by commanding it to leave. We have authority over every spirit. Luke chapter 10 verse 19, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So why am I afraid? I'll tell you what, Julie and I took a a TV fast for a month, empowering Man, we are being programmed by social media constantly, full of unbelief, just dump garbage truck fulls of unbelief being dumped on us. I mean, you can't watch TV without starting, starting to have symptoms of a million and one diseases that they're advertising the cures for. I'm serious. It's all pharmaceutical companies supporting the networks. You need this drug. I mean, we laugh, but it's true. Is that having an effect on us? Yes. Yes. I walk in sickness. I don't walk in life. Death and power are in the light. Death and power, life and death, excuse me, are in the power of the tongue. If I speak sickness over myself, I'm going to be sick. If I speak life and health over myself, I walk in life and health. God said it. Jesus is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals. Is he, did he stop healing at some point? Can he be anything other than who he is? Do we believe he's Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord my righteousness? Do we still believe he's the Lord my righteousness? Amen? Do we believe he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals? The same yesterday, today, and forever. And when the gospel is sweeping across India, it's not in word only but it's in the mighty movement of the spirit of God. In Acts four, when they prayed, it says, the place was shaken where they prayed. And they said, Lord, grant your servants boldness to speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal with signs and wonders. Now, if the apostles of Jesus needed signs and wonders to proclaim the gospel, how much more do we? In the dark age in which we live, While the church has been asleep in the West, the forces of darkness are gathering and growing. Have you been to France? Have you seen what's happening in France? France is gone. The light is extinguished in France. The light in England is flickering. In America, we talk about infanticide. We talk about killing babies after they're born. I mean, abortion was, you see what happens? We got used to the concept of abortion. Abortion is horrible. But now we've gotten kind of used to that. So now let's go to the next step. Let's go to infanticide. We're sinking. We're sinking. But I believe, and I do believe, I do speak prophetically. God has shown me, God has shown me that this place is gonna be filled up with people on the stairwells. Every seat, take it down here in the front and people are gonna be coming. And they're gonna be coming to Christ and they're gonna be coming forward to be healed. And we're gonna see people healed. Now we've seen people healed in India. We've seen people healed of polio in India. We've seen people healed of tuberculosis. We've seen people healed of AIDS. We've seen people healed of just a Russell Viper bite. A lady got bit by a Russell Viper, that's a death sentence, the Lord healed her. What's happening in the third world countries is coming to America. But we limit God by our unbelief. Now I'm in the plane. And in the plane, I have all the resources of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers, it's coming. Sisters, it's coming. We need to move out of our comfort zone. God hasn't changed. Jesus cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to step out of our comfort zone, and we need to, we need to believe God believe God for miracles, believe God for healings, believe God for salvations. Now, in my job in the fire department, and I'm a chief, so I have access to my guys, I love on them, I pray, lay hands on them, pray for them all the time. And uh, they're kicking me out, March 17th, that's my last day, Uh, because mandatory retirement at age 70, so I'm gone. The Lord's closing that door after 30 years. But I've had I've been used to the Lord there. I, I'm so thankful. He's used. I've been a missionary to the fire department for 30 years. I'm thankful for that. I'll share one more little story with you, and then I got to close. Jonathan is armor bearer. I love this. First Samuel chapter 14. Satan through the Philistines has come into Israel, and he's taken out all the blacksmiths. There's no blacksmiths to be found in Israel. There's only two swords. Saul has one and Jonathan has the other one. And that's what Satan does. When communists take over a country, what do they do? They kill all the pastors. They imprison or kill all the pastors. So there's only two swords in all of Israel, according to 1 Samuel. And, John, and Saul's hiding in a cave with his and Jonathan and his armor bearer, oh, Jonathan's got a warrior mentality. And he says to his armor bearer, let's go present ourselves. Let's come out of these caves. Let's go present ourselves to the Philistines. And if they run after us, we'll know that God isn't in this and we'll run. But if we present ourselves to the Philistines and they invite us down to fight, we will know that God has delivered them into our hands. The armor bearer doesn't have a sword. He says to Jonathan, whatever's in your heart, I'm with you. I'm with you. If one will chase a thousand, two will chase 10,000. Everybody needs an armor bearer, don't we? You need a warrior in your life. I told Mike, Mike, I'll be your armor bearer. He's contemplating that. <laughs> Pray for him. <laughs> so they go present themselves to the Philistines, and the Philistines say, Come on down and get some of this. You know? No, they say, Come on down. And so they go down. And they killed 20 Philistines. One sword. It says Jonathan fell them and the armor bearer finished them off. I'm not sure how he did it, but he did it. Killed 20 of them. God, our God is a warrior. He is looking for men and women in this congregation to change their identity from pacifists to warriors. He, the gates of hell cannot stand against us. Gates are defensive in nature. We ought to be on the offensive. Satan on the defensive. Brothers and sisters, are you clothed with Christ? Do you smell like Jesus? Do you look like Jesus to the father? Are you basking in the father's love? Are you allowing the devil to lie to you and beat you down and give you an identity he never wanted you to have? Is your, are your lives, is your, is your, are your days filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory? Or are they filled with unbelief and discouragement and you're walking by sight and you're seeing everything around you, everything in your own family and you're walking by sight, not by faith and the result is you're not pleasing God because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Do you believe with me that God can use this congregation to start a revival that would sweep all across Montgomery County and then all across the state of Ohio and then all across America and it would come and meet the, the, the revival that's taking place in India. I actually believe the revival in India is coming here. Are you believing God for great things? Israel limited God with their small thinking. Are you believing God for great things? Will you believe with me together for great things? So you have your armor bearer, I'll be your armor bearer. Now I wanna ask you, Julie and I are getting ready to go to India, we leave April 9th and India's changed because the gospel is spreading so fast that they're changing the laws and because India's for Hindus, Hindus for India, they will kill you if you try to convert people there. I mean, it's happening every day. They're killing, they're killing Indians, Indian Christians. And uh, so we want, you to, we want you to pray for us and uh, we want to see just God do amazing things while we're there. So I'm going to ask you to come and, and pray for us. If, if the Lord has spoken to you today, I want you to come and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be clothed with you. I want a new identity. Give me the keys of the kingdom. Lord, I want to be a warrior. Lord, I'm tired of being a pacifist. I'm tired of walking in unbelief. Then would you come forward and pray with us this morning? So please come now and uh, we'll pray together. And you guys can lay hands on Julie and I. I told the first service, if you didn't come forward, you're just a Satan worshiper. I was joking about that. But it is an all-inclusive altar call type of thing. So please come and pray with us and we'll pray for you. Mm-hmm. 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 I'll just at the same time and I'll be Mike. So oh Lord, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. Lord, without you, without each other, Lord, we you never made us for isolation, Lord. You you put us into a body, how desperately we need each other. Lord, we thank you for our house churches spread throughout this county and with that little embassies for the kingdom of God scattered all over where we can fulfill the one another commands of of Jesus. I thank you for this body of Christians. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here right now. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would raise up an army of warriors with a new identity. And Lord, you'd help us to see who we are in Christ. That Lord, we get in the airplane, Lord. We wanna abide in the airplane, who is Christ. We wanna soar with you, Lord Jesus. Forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for our passivity. For fear us, Lord, for walking between two opinions. Oh, Lord, we want to be gamblers for God. Somebody said our gamblers for God gold so many and gamblers for God so few. Lord, make us gamblers for you, gambling on the promises of God being true. Lord Jesus, come in power, come in power. Unleash your spirit upon this congregation. Give us, Lord, sear into our minds, our hearts, our souls, this new identity, the love of the Father, the love of the Father for us in Christ.